for March 6th, 2023. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 766. Dad also has a cow on his head. It's Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The Overthinkers are your smart, funny friends from the internet, never happier than when we are standing in a crowd of people in a darkened theater, throwing our hands up in the air and waving them like we just don't care. I'm Matt Rather. I just don't care. Uh, and the two people I just don't care about most are my good friends, <laughs> Pete Fenzel. Hello, Pete. I'm throwing my hands up in the air. Hey, Matt, throwing him right back at you. Uh, and, and Mark Lee. Mark, hands up. Woo, at the concert, baby. I know. Oh, a good time. We're going we're going to the concert. Guys, this week this week we're going to the concert. But uh it's it's a it's a special concert. It's a uh it's it's a concert that's not for you to enjoy so much as yourself, but for you to enjoy through uh through the eyes of your children. That's right. All of our other children's music uh that we've talked about on the uh on the podcast has had to do with like Music as media, music as like, uh, 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 television music or like recorded kids music. But it's important that children learn that music is made by people in a room and not just, you know, uh, not just kind of an endless stream of fungible, undifferentiated distraction that pours out of the smart speaker, you know, with the Spotify subscription, right? Like it's, uh, it's, uh, impossible. It, it, it's important that, that, uh, we learn some of the non-commodifiable parts uh of 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 concerts and and music making for children for how how will the children grow up to uh be social justice warriors without the benefit of immense immense cultural privilege pete i understand you went to a concert <laughs> this uh, uh <laughs> this weekend <laughs> Um, I did. Yeah. Yes, so yes. what was the concert in some sort of building and would you explain? <laughs> just dripping. I'm like covered in some sort of ectoplasm that you've just gushed out over the uh interwebs over Mark and myself. Uh this this uh disdain. I will try to wipe it off. I love uh, kids' music. I was I was a I was a I mean I have th- I, I have thoughts about as a non parent, I'm not sure I'm entitled mm-hmm. to them. But as no, a as a former child consumer of kids music, I you know I have thoughts about uh kids music. So don't don't worry. I will pipe up when uh I will pipe up when the time comes. Excellent. So here's what I want to start because I want to start with something a little bit different than just talking about the music. We go into this theater, and I want to talk about the theater, and I will in just a moment. But we, we go into this theater to take our seats, and my son, who was born in April of 2020, so a month after you know U.S. COVID stuff really start, started rolling, has never been in a building even remotely similar to this in his life. He has never seen a movie. He has never been to a show. The closest thing he's ever been to are, is the occasional outdoor music festival thing that we've gone through briefly, right? He has never been in a theater before. 
and we're sitting in this theater and we went to go see Lori Berkner, who is awesome, is a, a, a children's musician uh, who's been kicking around for a while at this point. It's the 25th anniversary of her uh, Buzz Buzz album, I believe, was the occasion of her tour. Um, and he, she sings hits such as uh, We Are the Dinosaurs and Goldfish and whatnot. Uh, but we're in this theater, right? And, and you know, he sits down and, and we're, uh, we're kind of looking around and the um, – he, I think he wanted to start making noise or people were making noise, uh, like um, like shouting to each other. And my wife turns to him and says, oh, you know, like uh, this is a theater. People people do make big sounds in this theater. I remember it was it was the sound check. The guy came out to do the sound check. And my wife said to uh, my son, oh, this is a theater. Right. This is this is a place where the sound goes out. Your 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 father will explain what theaters are. Right. Like, oh, yeah, your your father will explain what theaters are. Now, granted, if there's anybody I know that I would want to have explain what theaters are to a child, it would probably be me because it sounds like a lot of fun. And I feel like (laughs) as an overthinker, it's also kind of in my wheelhouse. You know, like I've done a non-trivial amount of reading on the history of the physical construction of theaters going back, you know, last few thousand years, especially in the Western world and whatnot. Uh, So I, I have some basis for knowledge of this. But but confronted with that question, what is a theater well there's only one there's only one way to begin pete and that's that and that is to say theater my boy and then you continue from the theater (laughs) my boy like so back in ancient egypt there were comos parades where people would carry a stone phallus and then there were seder plays no 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 actually you know really phalluses are are, uh, really kind of a theme that runs through a lot of the gosh never thought about that so so here's where i want to briefly touch on the theater that i was in which is a non- trivial part of the story because i looked around in this theater and it was beautiful it's not necessarily in like a tip-top state of repair not necessarily a tip-top modern theater for sure but we were in a place called the cabot which is a hundred year old vaudeville uh silent movie house so this thing was built in the 20 in 1920 and it was an old music hall where they used to show silent pictures And then uh, and I've been reading about its history and apparently at one point for like a long period of time it for it was the uh, it was the location of a permanent in residence magic show, (laughs) believe it or not, from the from the the, the 70s. Yes, it was purchased in the 70s by Le Grand David and his own spectacular magic company. And so it had a 37 year run as a uh, as a theater for a magic show, which is kind of wild. But now it is, uh, you know, a music concert hall and has been a music concert hall for for a while as well. Like there are there is a painting of Bob Marley in the lobby. There are vintage foam core printed posters from old concerts for acts like the Fleetwood Mac rumors tour. And uh, there's a there's a cut out of Kate Bush uh, in front of one of the doors. And it's not from the Stranger Things era. And then there's like. <laughs> A whole bunch – you would love this, Matt. There's a whole bunch of autographed photographs of uh, Sarah McLaughlin on the staircase, <laughs> right? Like uh, like a bunch of pictures of Sarah McLaughlin uh, with, with her autograph there. They're on the staircase. And it feels like a movie theater, right? Because, you know, you go in there. It's got this sort of orchestra seating and it's got a balcony, but it's got boxes because it's old school, right? And then it's got a stage. And, and it didn't have a sign of a movie screen or anything. It had a psych that had like a dinosaur and a bumblebee and stuff. But I look at it. One of the other things it has is that – 
in the, the interior arch. So think of there's a proscenium, right? The proscenium has a curtain hanging from it. Uh, inside is the couple of guitars that will be used for the show. This isn't a U2 show. There's not 14 guitars. There's two guitars that are going to be used. And then there is an arch that is between the audience and the proscenium that runs along the wall of the theater and also comprises a sort of acoustic feature that is going to usher the sound outward from the stage out into the audience. And on it are paintings of the muses. And in particular, um, uh, Euterp, the uh, the muse of flutes and music, uh, is playing a, a, a sort of herald trumpet uh, in, in, a neck, in front of a... Uh, in front of an olive tree in black figure, like in sort of old Greek amphorae black figure. Um, not not the other, I don't know if there's another term for it, but you know, the kind where yeah. the pot, the, the figure is in the material of the pot. No, real, real and, ode on a Grecian urn type of stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's this whole stylized ode on a Grecian urn style painting across the walls and the ceilings, including these two muses on the side. So like, I want to start with saying like, well, these are muses. And he's like, well, he's not going to get that. And then I want to look at the sort of big uh, way in which the, the whole place seems to be almost like a conch shell, kind of like, you know, listen to the ocean, you know, kind of rounded edges and and big shapes uh, that sort of were inside of this big sound, this sound bean. Uh, but I also want to talk about, oh, you know, the the boxes, right? Like, well, a theater back in the day is a place to see and be seen. So there's a stage and then there's boxes and you can see other people in the audience. It's like, no, 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 Pete, you got to keep it really simple. And so I was saying, well, you know, there's a stage and that's the big elevated flat pace place in the front. And that's where somebody can stand. And if they if you know how when you my son does something that is relevant to this discussion, which is we have certain rooms in our house that have metal objects in them of a certain size, uh, such as a bed frame or uh, my squat rack, right? And my son has figured out that if he goes da at a loud enough volume at just the right resonant frequency, it will vibrate the metal object and you will get this like cool metallic me- uh, echo from his voice. So he loves to go into these rooms and go da, 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 and sort of hear the sound bouncing off of the metallic object. He doesn't know that's what's happening, right? But like, I try to explain it to him that way. It's like, you know, when you go into the room and you go, da, and the sound reverberates everywhere. So anybody standing on that stage who says anything, it's supposed to reverberate everywhere in this room, right? Everybody in this room is supposed to hear it. And all of these places that we're all sitting are all spaced out so that all of us get to watch that person at the same time, right? So this is my attempt to kind of explain what a theater is, like a physical space of a theater, Um to this kid who's never understood it before. And and he's sitting in his chair. Um, I mean, I guess I'll pause there and say, like, did I do a decent enough job? How would you have, have answered this question, guys? If you if you had brought someone who had never conceived of a building like a theater, I guess I said that it's like when in Blaze and the Monster Machines, they're having a monster truck race and a whole bunch of people are watching. That's like this, except they're playing music instead of racing. Um, it's like a stadium, except I, for music. It's a good question. I'm not sure how I would try to explain it to my four-year-old, who's just a little bit older than, than your son, Pete. Um, yeah. I will say that my son has managed to intuitively figure out the divide between performer and audience. And okay. that, like, you know, he will set up um, chairs as if in an auditorium. Um, and he will seat us there, and then he will go to the front, you know, where the um, you know the performance space is. And he will say... Very clearly and proudly, ladies and gentlemen, the show is about to begin. <laughs> and like, you know, ham it up. Yep. For us. Um, 
so I, I guess all like I, I don't I have no idea where he got that from. I mean, yeah. I, I, now that I think about it a little bit, like you know, he has his school preschool. I think at that point had taken him to a show. Um, and this is, I think this was before we had taken taken him to like uh, I think he saw he saw he saw you know at Sesame Street musical. Um, which which was in a in a theater as you describe it. Um, so, but that was I think after he had he had done this. Um, so maybe he had like a very light bit of exposure to it. Maybe he saw it in a book or something like that. But he figured it out. Mm-hmm. It's like it's uh it, it is not that foreign of a concept. I don't think to a small kid or was it to Ethan? Well, I think he did okay with it. I mean, Matt, did, before we move on to that, do you have anything well, you wanted I to? I think there is like a, a sort of primal dynamic, you know, especially among children, which is that you want to be kind of seen and like, uh, you know, attended to by your parents, right? And so that creates a performer audience kind of relationship, you know, <laughs> yeah, like indeed. that there is that there and that, that, that sort of like primal need that children have to be, you know, reared by, by their parents is, uh, it's interesting to kind of consider the, the relationship between those, um, between those two things in, in terms of your description of a theater, Pete, I think you, you focused on, uh, Aristotle's formal cause, Right. Which is or the formal or efficient cause. Right. Like this is what the theater is made of. Like it's made of these this uh, this proscenium that, you know, everyone everyone goes and like this, you know, or the 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 formal cause. Like here is the the form of the theater and all the, yep. the ways that yeah, that it works. It projects yeah. sound. Right. It, you can see you have a sight line. Right? Exactly. You can sit. There's a chair. Yeah, exactly. Another way to go at it would be to focus on what Aristotle would have called the final cause, which is like, how do we use use a theater you know right that is to say the theater is the place where when we go there they have to take us in oh i should have called it <laughs> something we somehow hadn't to deserve no sorry not bad robert frost bad no the theater the theater is the place where we go to listen to people uh play play things for us to, to listen to play, people make music for us and we sit here and they they go there and they're going to do neat things that that we like right like and that's a that's the final cause i guess the uh the the what the efficient cause would be uh more more uh like marxian right like the the theater is the product of alienated labor uh <laughs> you know and uh was was created by wage slaves 100 years ago uh in order to uh you know showcase the grandiosity of, uh, of the, the upper class. And, uh, oh, and by the, by, and, you know, it's a huge accumulation of, of capital. Uh, the performers in it are, you know, uh, barely solvent itinerant, uh, itinerant workers, except there was this one guy who did magic. Uh, Mark's very, very into magic <laughs> I mean, shows. Very the story into would not be shows. so desperate. I mean, it's not a it's not a rich city, but it's you could say like this isn't this was an early mill city. It had its own industrial base, and because it had an industrial base, people had a little bit of extra money. And the people who wanted had a little bit of extra money when they were done working. You know, they weren't out you know in the field living a agricultural lifestyle. They would go in and out of the city, and this was an opportunity to spend some extra money in the city, you enjoying a civic entertainment. And so, like theaters and music halls would spring up in these places where previous. Obviously, you know, it would be something you would do at home, right? Um, but because people were convening for other reasons, they also started convening to watch movies, um, so on and so forth, or, or to see, of course, vaudeville before that. Yeah, I say, I hear what you're saying. I thank you for, but that's, but that's, not, that. but that, that's interesting. The, the, you talked about like how the theater is organized. You gave a, you gave kind of a structural overview of what the, yeah. of what the theater is, which is really, 
which is really interesting. How did it go over? Oh, I mean, he so actually there was another explanation that he was much more interested in. Uh-huh. So he needed to leave. Uh, he, he actually, you know, what it was is that I asked my wife if she wanted a beverage uh, because, of course, the theater had concessions, which is not part of any of the explanations that we've offered heretofore. And um and Ethan, my, sorry, my son, he said, uh, you know, I want a beverage. <laughs> it's like, oh, a <laughs> beverage. Uh, and so, uh, OK, I'm going to take him and we're going to go get a beverage. And so we go out to the lobby and there's a big line. And one of the uh, ushers says, you know, there's another one upstairs and you could go upstairs and you could go to the concession stand up there. I was like, aha, that one probably has a shorter line. And so we start going up the stairs. And of course, we see all the Sarah McLaughlin pictures and the big Fleetwood Mac foam core advertisement at the top of the stairs, which is pretty great. And then I see that there is a uh, concession stand up there, but it's mostly a bar and it doesn't have popcorn. And the other one had had popcorn. Ah. And so I brought Ethan back down. And as long as I've said his name once, I try to avoid, you know, using names all that much, but it doesn't matter that much. You guys can all look it up. Um, and I wanted to get, you know, beverage for me, beverage for my wife, bottle of water for him, because that's the only thing they had that was sort of kid friendly in the sense that he wouldn't be spilling it all over the floor and then get some popcorns. And they had small popcorns in little brown paper bags with popcorn illustrations on the outside, which is itself related in some manner to the concept of a theater, right? Like a theater, a circus. This is an object that you could put in an illustration in a children's book of people at the circus, and it would reinforce the idea that those people are at the circus because they have these particular uh, bags of popcorn. And so I got two little bags of popcorn with these drinks and brought them back to our seats. And my son, we had thought he would want to stand on the aisle or sit on the aisle for reasons that will become apparent. But he wanted to sit between us because he was a little bit intimidated by the surroundings and he wanted to sort of safety of being between his parents. But then he wanted that popcorn. And so the way that Ethan was experiencing the theater was I have my own popcorn, mm. right? And then like, and then the show starts and he's like watching the show and eating his own popcorn and he's in his own seat. You know, he has his own seat that has boundaries on it. That's huge for him, yeah. <laughs> which is, I think one of the most interesting things about it. So he has this enormous seat because he's a very small person, right? And, and he has this own little bag of popcorn and he's just like, you can see that he's just relishing the opportunity to munch on this popcorn. Um, did he use a yeah. cup holder? Did he get a kick on a cup? Well, a cup holder is not going to be a stranger to a child, right? You know, who's been in a car and also probably has a cup holder on his, uh, um, in his stroller. I mean, he, he was he into the cup holder. He was not into the cup holder, but his sister was way into the cup holder. <laughs> his sister's only six months old, and so his so his sister was so into the cup holder that we had to not. Keep oh, you brought her too, holder. of course. Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. Because <laughs> uh, she was there too, and she, of course, doesn't speak English. So uh, she's in what, what language does what, what does she speak? The common tongue, I believe, is the answer. <laughs> she takes that. She gets that just at level one. You have to get a pro- language proficiency to pick that. <laughs> she speaks draconic and abyssal. Uh, <laughs> 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 but yeah, she speaks. <laughs> um, but yes, so so part of the juggling was moving around what was in the various cup holders based on where the baby was, so the baby couldn't, you know, open up and spill a uh, a cup of soda in its, you know, appropriately insecure and relatively low quality compostable cup, right? Like so, <laughs> uh, but still compostable, right? 
Um, so, so, Ethan, uh, so your son is, is building out, you know, his mental model of the theater and things you can, things that happen here, things you can and cannot do, things you can and cannot eat as well, yes. right? So now it's like, aha, okay, I come here, I get to eat popcorn. And yes. that, presumably that's not some, you know, an everyday thing that, that you have at the, at the Fenzel household. We make either. popcorn sometimes, but we don't have like his own bag of popcorn he gets to have for himself. He is right. very into things he gets to have for himself. Mm, yes. Um, as, as at this particular toddler stage, things that are his idea also are a big deal. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Everything has to be his idea uh, that he comes up with because he's, you know, trying to establish some sort of control over a world that uh, terrifies him probably because it makes no sense. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, yes, that, that applies whether you're four or 40, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But but the idea that watching a performance at a theater is a special occasion and watching a performance at home is not is another dimension of what a theater is mm, mm-hmm. and if one of the ways that's signified is that you eat your popcorn out of your own bag then you know if say we i were to have you guys over and we were to watch you know a movie we were to watch wakanda forever which i still haven't seen say we were to come over, you guys were to come over and i make popcorn and we watch wakanda forever and i gave each of you a little movie theater popcorn bag Oh wow! That would be delightful. That yes. would be, I'm so. When can we do <laughs> this? I'm so into right? this idea. <laughs> That's different. That changes it. Yeah. That makes yeah. the, that makes the home a theater right there. I think or something. Something theater theaterish. Something has been created there. There, there must be something there that wasn't there before, as the as the beast would say, right? Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's that's actually something even beyond even beyond what I. That's a third, like. That's a, a third level. I'm not even sure what yeah. Aristotle would have would have made of it, right? There's there's the theater. There's the kind of the the structural view of the theater, the structural or functional view of the theater, right? There's the kind of the final cause view of the theater, which is like how what is the theater for? How do we use it? And then there's the theater as like as as praxis or as ritual, you know, which is that like to go to the theater means to go to the uh to go to the um to the concession stand to get your own popcorn right like yeah. and i i mean the my adult version of this is that like when i go to a when i go to a concert generally that's in like a, a venue that not a seated venue that's in like a you know a, a rock concert venue i will generally get like a a double bullet bourbon on the rocks or something like that a drink that i, I it's not something i would drink on a, like a, <laughs> a a pretty high octane beverage you know but like i'm ready to you know i'm i'm ready to rock out with my inhibitions out and i'm like uh you know and i want to i want to double bullet bourbon on the rocks and it's a, a generally a brand that that people will carry at that at that type of venue so you know that like that like you go you know and it's like okay i'm going to see a, an artist i'm going to see a concert i you know i like i really like uh, john darnielle and the mountain goats right like the, this uh this latest album uh you know, bleed out is just wall to wall bangers. Uh, and then the one slow song, which is the title track of the album. Um, the, uh, <laughs> do, you feel, do you feel lied to? <laughs> no, it's what it's wonder. It's wonderful. It's, it's notionally an action movie. The album oh. is notionally an action movie. And so there's a, uh, you know, there's a, uh, the, I think it's the first song is called, uh, a training montage. <laughs> you know, and it's, um, the, uh, the chorus begins, I'm doing this for revenge. And it's, uh, it, you know, it's, it's wonderful. I, I listen to it jogging a lot. I listen to it running. <laughs> I find my paces are, are, uh, are higher. And the, when last time I saw him, uh, the the uh, 
the whole audience. It actually kind of started a mosh pit uh, in the middle of a mountain goat show, which is not something that usually happens. But the uh, the uh, the anthemic song is called Wage Wars, Get Rich, Die Handsome. And that's um, <laughs> and so anyway, and like, you know, there I am, you know, with a portly dad, like, you know, barreling into me in the middle of a uh, in the middle of a uh, uh, in the middle of a, you know, the Webster Hall in New York or something like that. And I'm sloshing my bullet bourbon on the rock all over my hand and it's special it feel the cold feeling the you know the sensorium is engaged in the whole uh the whole thing the crunch of the of the uh the crunch of the popcorn but uh yeah i mean that's that's really so that's really wonderful so how but i you know i i would go to i used to go to uh children's music concerts pete by the Ooh. children's music artist peter alsop yes um, one of my favorites when i was young yep oh really that's good well that's great because i uh i did some freelance work on his website a little while ago <laughs> so i actually once sent pete <laughs> a message that was sent that was meant for Peter Alsop, and I was like, "Hey, uh, you know, this new feature on your website is done." And Pete was like, "What? Do, what? My website? What are you talking? What are you talking about?" <laughs> anyway, so they, um, he is an unreconstructed hippie, uh, and d- gives concerts in L.A. at the Will Gear Theatricum Botanicum. Which Ooh. was a, a venue up in the, the kind of the Santa Monica Mountains. Uh, you kind of, it's kind of, you got to go. It's an outdoor amphitheater type of venue. Um, you know, uh, benches on, you know, kind of carved out of a hillside. So you kind of sit on, uh, you know, two by eight boards that are laid on the dirt. I guess they've, they've like paved it now or something. But when I was, when I was a kid, it was a lot more rustic and, uh, you know, like Woody Guthrie, like came through, like, uh, a lot, you know, Will Gear was on the blacklist. Um, and so he did this like Shakespeare theater, uh, in, and, and it's all, there, there are a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of hippies. And so it's this, this, this venue and the, the benefit of this kind of hippie venue, this sort of outdoor nature amphitheater, uh, where you, where you sit essentially on, on the ground, um, you know, and in an arena, uh, is that it really facilitated participation, right? Cause like a normal theater seat is way too big for a, a child, uh, especially to like, you know, I don't know if you want to like kind of feel like you're, you're involved in the thing. Like a, a, a look, a three year old is engulfed in an adult sized, uh, theater seat and like participating. And like one of the things about, about kids music and one of the things that I think sets it apart from other like experiences of, theater unless you're into some real avant-garde stuff is that like almost invariably participation from the kids becomes a part of the uh becomes a part of the performance um and that's like uh that's really facilitated by like the the more open your theater space can be the better off the better off you are like the the more like a playroom you know the layout of a theater uh, the, the, the layout of a theater is, um, the, the, the better off you are. So did they, did they get Pete? Uh, did they, did they get up? I mean, did, did they open the door? Did they get on the floor? <laughs> you know, I really wish that song didn't mention a cigarette in the first 30 seconds. Cause I do love walk the dinosaur by was not was, but I do feel a little bad whenever I play it for a child, which is 
fairly often still. I'm not going to change, but still, it's uh, you can't teach this old dog new dinosaurs or I mean, just, old dinosaur new tricks. They, they don't know. Um, they, you know, they don't know. Like it, it'll be a little while before the. I, I, I don't you have memories of like realizing the fuller context yeah. of stuff <laughs> that like you did as a kid without really thinking twice about it. Like, yeah, uh, I, I don't know how. That's such a weird thing to experience from the perspective of a parent is the things that my my kid just doesn't internalize about the things that are being talked about. Um, like 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 the whole dinosaur herbivore carnivore thing about the di- how the, it's, you know, the carnivores eat the herbivores. And I don't think he really gets that or it seems troubled by it. Like he doesn't seem to be like concerned with it at all. Um, we used to do in the in the children's theater version of uh, Cinderella adaptation of Cinderella that I performed in a, a long time, you know, when I was a teenager performing in children's theater, we had a line uh, where Cinderella said or one of the stepsisters said, wow, to meet the prince, what must it be like to live in a palace and have grand balls? <laughs> so, that, okay. You know. So yes. So Lori, I'll talk a bit about, I'll put this in the context of Lori Berger's work as well. Cause she totally does this also um, with the children's musicians. It seems like you want to, it's interesting to know where they got into the biz. I think you mentioned Peter Alsop as a, as a hippie. I think he's also got a psychology background. Yes. Right? Exactly. Like a sort of child psychology background. And so his music, I love his music. Uh, a lot of it is very much, kind of from the perspective of the child dealing with things that are difficult for the child, at least the stuff that I listened to back in the eighties. Yeah. Um, like, you know, t- don't leave me here when you leave, like, take me, take me, take me, take me when you leave, you know, I- I'm, I'm a small child. I don't really know where you're going, you know, yeah, et cetera, et cetera. I'll, say, um, I'll sing a little, I mean, I, I know all of these by heart cause they were such yeah. a big part of my, take me, take me, take me with you, please take me, take me, take me when you leave. And it's like, it's meant to kind of give voice to an experience that the, that the child is having. And it's, it's, it's done, it's done sort of didactically in that it's done with a purpose. It's done, you know, with a view towards psychological de- development but it's done from the point of view of the child and it also has like a, a little cheekiness so the verse is i'm just a little child and surely you can see if you don't take me i'll be damaged psychologically <laughs> and that's uh you know meant to make the parents feel bad I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so so i so laurie berkner comes at this from the perspective of somebody who is a musician first and then and this is like you know 30 years ago, uh, you know, was sort of touring, touring, you know, Europe as a college student playing guitar and singing. uh, And then afterwards got a job as an entertainer at preschools and daycare centers. So she is very much there to kind of engage and kind of actively entertain the kids by getting the kids to do stuff together and to sort of wrangle them. Right. So like a lot of her songs involve suggesting, you know, um, pantomime or motions that the kids all do together. Um, And uh, and it has that vibe of like I'm taking care of a large number of children. And by playing this song, they're kind of all being entertained and delighted. And yeah, sure. Like there's a sort of provocative uh, relationship with music and the mind and all that. Um, But it is it is. uh, Well, let's just talk about pig on her head. Because uh, I think that was one of the more interesting, from a dramatur- dramaturgical perspective. Uh, this is a song. The lyrics go: "Lori's got a pig on her head. Lori's got a pig on her head. 
Lori's got a pig on her head. She keeps it there all day. Oink, oink, snort, snort, oink, oink. oink. My dad has got a cow in his head. My dad has got a cow in his head. My dad has got a cow in his head. He keeps it there all day. What does it say? Moo! My mom has got a sheep on her head. Now, okay. So there's a bunch of stuff you could say about this song. The first is a piece of context. That there was a note when you bought your tickets that you should bring a stuffed animal for each child to the show. And so when it became time to play Pig on Her Head, what Lori Berkner and this, this is a, in this show, she's the only person on the stage. So there's like sound equipment and stuff, but there's no backup band for this show. It's just her. Uh, and she's just playing a guitar and singing amplified, but still. And so she's working the crowd also, right? Not like making jokes with people and stuff, but she's the one giving directions to people as to what to do. And so um, the suggestion is, okay, everybody take out your stuffed animal and put it on your head. And she's like going through the crowd being like, you, you know, oh, look, you have an octopus and you have a cat. And you have a dog. And oh, look at the upper upper deck. We have this and this. And she's kind of pointing out each of the kids has like a stuffed animal that they've got on their head. And everybody thinks this is hilarious, right? Like this is, you know, the kids all love the idea that the stuffed animal is on their head. It's so funny, right? And then uh, she goes into the song and – it's, you know, and, and she has a stuffed pig on her head while she sings. She balances a plushy pig on her head while she sings and plays guitar. And, uh, of course, you do the thing that all kids do uh, at some point. Well, not all, but but many more than I thought uh, kids do across cultures, which is learn animals and then learn the noises that they make. Mm. Right. So it's like it's a pig. It goes oink, oink. Like everybody can participate in that. Right. And then she does the thing where she brings in the parents right away. The dad has a cow in his head. No, right? Like, that's so funny. It's so silly, right? That the dad has a cow on his head uh, in the song. You know, oh my goodness, that's just that's just hilarious because the inversion of power relationships that that represents is like so completely counter to their everyday experience, but strikes at some intuitive sense of how the world works that they know, right? Like, dad also has a cow on his head. Mom has a sheep on her head. Right. And then the way it, and then sister sister has an alligator on her head. So there's a heightening of the animals getting more absurd. You know, elephants. Um, and then it talks about my cousin's got hair on his head. He keeps it there all day. Ha ha. Another joke. Another reversal. And eventually you get to the point where she has everybody in the room call out the noise that the stuffed animal on their head makes. Right. So like, um, you know, uh, we had a, a we had a Clifford the Big Red Dog and a Pete the Cat. So it's like woof, woof. Although I don't know if Clifford the Big Red Dog makes sounds so much. He can break the windows. Uh, I don't know if Clifford the Big Red Dog's full power has ever been truly explored. Like, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, well, if Vegeta could destroy the planet in the first arc, then by the end of it, I mean, he's just so he could destroy the galaxy. And it's like Clifford the Big Red Dog is, you know. If he were to truly power up, it would probably destroy a continent. Right? Like he's just a really mighty force. But anyway, um, <laughs> notwithstanding, the, this is this is and you see the sense I'm talking about in terms of that kind of participation, right? Like that's a it's a guided game, it's a guided call and response game about animal noises uh, that's that's worked up in a song. Which um, to be and, clear, like you know, your son has done that I'm sure many times in school. Um, but the oh, yeah. scale of this, I'm curious to know, like. You know, um, the I just looked it up on the on the theaters the venues website. It's like little a little shy of a thousand people can fit. Yeah, it's a big it's a biggish place. Yeah, a lot of people, right? It's probably yeah. like the most number of people he's been in in an indoor space. Um, well, like you know, all for the same same specific thing. Oh yeah, right. I, yeah, I think the only place he'd ever been in that had a comparable number of people was when I took him to like indoor soccer. But that place was like huge. That was like an airplane hangar full of soccer fields and basketball courts. 
right? And so like, like lots of people like kind of doing their own thing. Yeah, exactly. Whereas this is everybody is all engaged on the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Now this carries us then to the other kind of participation. <laughs> so there's this kind of thing where it's sort of a guided participation where where there's like a bunch of beats and, and she's talking to the crowd and there's call and response and stuff. But then there's things like her song "We Are the Dinosaurs." You know, we are the dinosaurs marching, marching, marching. marching. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, we, what pain. do you think of that? And then they fall asleep and then they get up. It's a running theme in her in her songs that 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 animals and creatures have like high energy times and low energy times and high energy times and low energy times, uh, which I think is really important and reflects the sort of experience with managing the erratic energy levels of children, which sort of need attending to in these areas. But. So like a kid's concert, the theater, what the theater is in that material sense, in that uh, necessary causal sense uh, of what the theater is for a child is is so fascinating because, yes, as you mentioned, this is not the Peter Elsop theater where the kids are being brought in for a kid sized theater experience. This is an adult sized theater where the kids are being given a huge theater experience, like more people and more stuff than they've ever seen before. And this chair, if you were sitting in it, it would be 10 feet high and five feet wide. Right. And you would have it all to yourself with your own giant bag of popcorn. Right. Um, as which big is really as your moment. head. Exactly. Um, and then the aisles would just be these avenues it would be like you know napoleon the third paved the avenues of this theater to prevent the barricades from disrupting his regime right like these are like long straight roads and highways and i don't think it was just this Lori burkner show i think this happens in a lot of kids shows where there's just a lot of the kids are dancing both in their seats and in the aisles uh and uh and i've always struggled with this when i go to concerts you know for adult concerts it's like there's ones that have seats and there's ones that don't and I don't know what to do when I'm in a concert which has seats. So there's there's sh- concerts that have seats and concerts that don't and concerts that would uh, create the appropriate opportunity for you to dance and concerts that don't. And the ones that I have the biggest problem with are the ones where you could dance, but there are chairs, <laughs> you know, like and I don't know what to do. And it's like I don't know what to do with my feet. Um, like I can bop, I guess, in place, but there's no space to really dance. Um, but we're all listening to Dave Matthews band and it kind of feels like just standing here the whole time would be silly. Right. So like, um, yeah, not a problem for children, Pete, who's what? morally in the right in those situations, the standers or the sitters at the Dave Matthews concert. Who's morally in the right. That's yeah. interesting because I've, um, I've, I've, uh, you know, been in crowds where there's a lot of like, sit down, you know, like, uh, in in theaters in rock shows that happen happen in theaters and i'm just i you know i am on the side of the standers right like this is rock and roll music it is meant to to not not be uh, you know experienced in a recumbent position like <laughs> stand you know stand stand erect audience and receive your rock music the way that i experience it is that there's a right time to stand and a right time to sit mm. based on how the show is going. Got and it. if you don't read the room, you're the one in the wrong. So to, like, to, to everything, there is a purpose and a time for, for every season under heaven. But at the same time, if you have all three groups of people, then the fight among those three groups of people creates, if not a synthesis, then a, uh, then a population, I suppose. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I know we're, I know we're focused on, uh, on your son's experience here, but can I just share like my, yeah, uh, very specific experience of seeing Guns and Roses and oh, having yeah. lots of confusion about when to sit and when to yeah. stand. 
Because <laughs> it's gun A, it's Guns N' Roses. Was is that like sort of like is that sort of like the the Delta Airlines Arena where like there's like lots of chairs and well, yes, it was yeah. it was it was MetLife Stadium. Uh, oh, MetLife Stadium, okay, in New better. Jersey, which is yeah. massive. Right. Nothing says We're Guns also, and Roses like life insurance. Right. <laughs> Welcome to the jungle, baby. You're going to die eventually. <laughs> you take care of your heirs. You'll better yeah. be insured. <laughs> Welcome to the jungle, baby. The actuaries tell you when you're going to die. <laughs> That's it. There you go. There you go. So anyway, like we're like not exactly in the nosebleeds, but we're pretty high up there. And um, I think everybody stands at the beginning for Welcome to the Jungle. Um, everybody kind of awkwardly starts to settle into their seats as I think Axel Rose dips into the Chinese democracy <laughs> material. And the show kind of plods along. And we're like so far up in the rafters rapper, that we're like unfortunately removed from the full force of it. And then by the end, you know, Sweet Child and Paradise City and whatnot, everybody's back on their feet. Um, it was weird. I felt, it fe- I felt alienated from the music. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. And then, and I think also with rock shows, there's another thing of you can't always understand what they're saying. So if you don't already know the words, you're in a fundamentally different epistemological relationship with yeah, like yeah. events than if you're uh, or semiotic. I always confuse epistemological and semiotic. Uh, I guess it's probably both uh, relationship with what's going on around you than if you know what the words to the songs are. Uh, but but I mean to get to get back to this, like for the kids. You're in a giant chair. You know, you could dance all the time. You could dance if you want to. You could leave your parents behind. Uh, they probably would yell your name in protest if you were to do that. And then you would probably turn around after 12 feet and run back. Um, uh, and your parents shouldn't dance. So so here's how I understand the unwritten rules of children's concerts in places with seating. Like one is kids can dance anywhere they are. On the chair, on the floor, in the aisle, wherever they go, the kids can dance. Uh, two, very common for kids who are seated at the end of a row to stand in the aisle during numbers they particularly like that are up tempo and dance. Uh, and then, and then I guess three, the parents don't dance. You're not <laughs> supposed to leave your chair at all, right? This is for the kids to dance, not you. You never see a parent. Because you block their view if you still. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so even then, here we saw parents. I saw there was one dad who was in the aisle, and it made sense because of the other thing I'm going to mention, because he was with a very small child. But he was like kneeling. He was like on one knee uh, in the in the vicinity of his one year old, because another one of the things that happens is the kids get pretty rowdy. Right? Like they like bop around and jump around. Right. Like, uh you know, a um, the wheels on the bus go round and round, son. You know, like and you, you better, you better stay out of the way, or you're going to get clocked, right? Um, I don't necessarily think it means it's it's violent per se, but like kids, you know, don't have the most concern. You know, very small children. I'm, we're talking about really small kids, like like three year olds, you know, and young and, and two year olds, three year olds, maybe four year olds at this show for the most part. Um, you know, they don't have a ton of body control a lot of the time. Uh, I guess there were kids who were a little bit older, but the ones who were really bopping in the aisles were the real younger ones. And like during We Are the Dinosaurs, when they were marching, marching, you know, I mean, my my son was like he was like elbows out stomping. He has this whole T-Rex persona he takes on where he stomps and growls. I think I think we've sort of uh, encouraged it because it's a way that he expresses anger without hitting people. You know, is he sort of his T-Rex stomp is a kind of way for him to deal with being angry or feeling aggressive without actually like getting in any trouble or harming anybody. Oh, and so Pete, like, you're raising, it... you're raising a theater kid. Yeah. You're raising, <laughs> you know, 
Oh. What my wife said when he went out there is like, man, this kid is so dramatic. He is he is Pete's son, right? Like, because <laughs> he went out there and he's like stomping and flailing his elbows as he's like ducking down and getting like real extension and raising his knees, you know. And then like, there's a part where the dinosaurs go to sleep and he just like lies down on the ground in the aisle and just passes out, right? Closes his eyes and then it's like, then they all have to get up and he does a full on burpee, just up on his feet. He's stomping <laughs> around again. <laughs> Like, man, this kid is into this. This kid is into this. And then at the end, he started eating popcorn off the floor. We had to stop. But <laughs> it was just like – there were other kids running around too. There was a song about um, a chipmunk that runs around a lot. And he was like bolting up and down the aisle and other kids were too. And they were going to hit each other, right? Like I had to like stick my arm out and grab him so that he wasn't colliding. And this was why it was useful for the dad to be with like the one-year-old. Because the one-year-old was just going to get clocked. She she was not as aware of her surroundings as some of the other kids who would like be running full steam at each other and would cut away at the last second, right? Um, because they have you have great breaks when you're that age because you, you weigh only thirty pounds <laughs> and so it's you see you don't need as much stopping power uh, when you're running full tilt. Um, but still, it's uh, the the like the areas of the aisles in children's concerts as sort of proto mosh pits. Uh, or even mm. like this, like, was it ska skanking some, some sort of dance area that was happening there. Um, at one point we had a, uh, an usher come up to us and ask my son if he wanted to join the kid, the kids who were dancing like all the way in the front. Right. <laughs> like there was a group of people who were dancing like all the way in the front on the sides and sort of up against the stage. And she could see that he was very enthusiastic about what he was doing. And she kind of wanted to see if he wanted to come and join the people up front dancing, like right by Lori Berkner. And he, and he was like, daddy. And he runs over to me and it's like, no, no, no. It's, uh, it's for, for the time being, we rank above the, the rock star uh, for the time being. Uh, we'll see how this goes in a few years, but, um, but it was interesting. Yeah, to, right. Yeah. To that point, right. Like, you know, he very quickly reads the room. And figures out, right, that this place is okay for um, all of the shouting and participatory things. And then the vigorous running up and down the aisles and and, um, uh, and dancing in the aisles, right? Because I'm sure, Pete, um, that oh, maybe once, maybe twice, that he, you've been in a situation where your son is running around indoors and you have told him that that is not okay. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. Like, by which I mean, of course, like many, many, many times. Right? Yeah, I mean, he it's even about- repeats the stuff they tell him at daycare. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, but like, like the, the the social aspect of this, right? Even though, you know, he's, this is the first time he's ever been to a concert. He figures out really quickly how the whole thing works, right? You pay yeah. attention to that lady on the stage. She's important because um, uh, the lights are on her because yeah. he has amplified uh, a lot. You know, that is like the loudest. He, uh, your son has probably heard a human voice ever. <laughs> yeah, I don't um, know. He lives with me, but sure. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and Pete, yeah, when. When Pete talks, you know, he does it through a megaphone at at his whole at his whole family. You know, (laughs) his the loudest voice he's heard is probably his own voice as he yells full volume inside the bathroom at all of us when he doesn't want to brush his teeth. That's probably the loudest human voice he's heard. No, (laughs) (laughs) but I hear what you're saying. Like she's the person on stage is important because everyone's looking at her. Right. Like that's the important person. And now all of us, you know, I, I, I can have my own bag of popcorn. I can run around and I don't get to run around like this in certain places. I get to do it at the park. I don't get to do it at home. Right. Like uh, he really prizes. Try, try giving spaces. him a, a double bullet on the on the rocks, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> 
all right, all right, all right. <laughs> that is not all right, all right, no, all right. Don't, don't, <laughs> no, yeah, no, 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 don't, yeah, don't, just to be clear, don't do that. No. Don't do that. Um, that's, can that's that great Lori Berger song. Whiskey is not for children. <laughs> <laughs> Not 1850. <laughs> there is a there is a set of Peter Alsop songs. I, yeah, you know you're right. He does have a uh, like a clinical psychology background, and so like a lot of the things like um, he he was like a a you know a kind of a Patch Adams in the clinical psychology world, and so a lot of his his things have clinical uses, and there are songs about uh, about alcohol abuse and drug addiction. They're they're not on the super popular children's albums, but you can you can yeah. seek them out. Lori Bergner had one about eating spaghetti. It was pretty solid. What do you want? <laughs> um, what do you want? Uh, uh, what do you want to know about the the lighting, Mark? Like, uh, you know, was it really like Source fours or or uh, you know what yeah what gels cans or yeah. you know yeah exactly Brunels. right no yep so yeah Pete's like uh, how 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 low did they bring the house lights um did they do the whole thing where you know uh, uh, house lights come up as a signal to the audience to participate in something which is something you take Only- for granted you know and you, when you go to um to a big rock concert as an adult but um uh you know like why 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 should we take that for granted. The Why house lights were generally down. So, okay. So when, before the show started, the stage was lit in a, in a sort of series of, I guess, what, gobos, uh, I- implying a kind of fantastical jungly space of kind of plants. And there's also the psych was painted with a big kind of childlike mural of characters from Lori Berkner's songs. So a bumblebee eating pizza, a stegosaurus eating spaghetti, you know, like a whole bunch of fantastical stuff is painted on the psych. And then I'm just going to, sorry, Pete, I'm going to, I'm going to annotate you a little bit. Psych is short for cyclorama and it means the backdrop at the, the rear of the stage. Gobo is a stencil that you put in light to, in a light to project a shape on, on the, uh, on a surface. And I should correct myself because it was not painted on the psych because that would have been horribly wasteful and expensive. It was a, sh- a sheet that was hung over where you would normally have the cyclo- cyclorama, cyclodrama, cyclorama, psychodrama, cyclorama, cyclorama. Okay, got it. And then, uh, and then, of course, at this point, a lot of gobos are probably di- digital effects or like, not, if not digital effects, they manufactured. I'm, I've, I'm old enough that I've cut. Have you cut gobos, Matt? I've cut gobos back in the day. Not a lot of them. But some of them, um, yeah, and, in uh, in, yeah, in like uh, high school technical theater or yeah. whatever, you know, yeah, yeah, with and, like and then, tin yeah. snips or whatever you used to to do that. I'm not, I can't even remember. God, that it's a very dangerous. It's very, very dangerous. <laughs> sharp metal edges, like yeah. you know. So, so this theater also had a fixture. And then, so the middle of the ceiling had this styled round uh, concentric circle pattern and the interior circles were part of a chandelier piece that was hanging below. I, I describe it as a chandelier, but it was sort of tiled and the tiles were translucent and were different colors. And so it was hanging from the ceiling and projecting a purple light upward that was reflecting downward off the ceiling. And and my son was fascinated by it. He was like, what is that? And I was saying, like, well, Ethan, uh, 
you know, they they used to have chandeliers, right? And the chandeliers comes back from when you used to light rooms with candles and you would use glass to reflect the candlelight and to kind of spread it out across the room in great patterns. I mean, I didn't really know. And you, you would have, you'd have, you know, candelabras that were holding candles that would be fixed to the walls or the ceilings of rooms. And we've gone on from that to fix electrical lights. And, and that's what that is. That's a kind of imitation uh, you know, I guess that's sort of what it was, was, was a sort of postmodern callback to a chandelier, I guess modern. Not then, you have to, then you have to go in and explain the opera ghost and how everyone calls yeah. him the phantom <laughs> of the opera and that yeah. like, you know, one time cause he was sort of, you know, had this like toxic masculinity thing. He like cut the chandelier and then swung down and a whole bunch of people were, you see, that's psychodrama. Right. But the, right. The, right. You know. So the answer to your question, Mark, the house lights were not up when you entered. When you entered, there was already a lighting a lighting cue that was up that mm. was signifying that something was happening here. Then when the show started, the remaining house lights that were part of that cue came out and it got darker. And then for pig on her head, the lights came house lights came up to full, which they go. had not yeah. been on previously. Mm. Then they came back down. So it was actually a pretty interestingly lit show. Uh, it's funny because when we were leaving, we went past a guy on a board. You know, uh, not a surfboard, but Matt, can you explain what the board is? The, the, um, oh yeah. I mean, you, you also can. I just didn't want to, I just didn't want it to, to fall, three, uh, fall by the wayside. Rule of three, man. You explained the last two, so you could explain this one. Too. Oh yeah, sure. Got it. Uh, the board is everyone in the audience. Uh, they're described, <laughs> they're described as the board because most theater is not good. And so <laughs> as I'm carrying my son up the aisle out of the way, there is a long haired, disheveled man who is in, uh, blue collar clothes including, I believe, a knit cap. Uh, and I should be describing it. In case he hears this, I don't want to be dismissive of him. He's at work. Uh, and he was sitting behind a large lighting uh, console. Piece of technical equipment, yeah. A console of some kind that was used to control what appeared to be many things. And, uh, and, I, and I, I said to Ethan as, as, I, as, I, as I walked past him, I was saying, say bye, tech guy. And he goes, bye, tech guy. And he, there's no indication from, from the guy that he heard us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I thought he did a really good job. Like, I thought that the, uh, his, the, uh, the sound was P, good. His, the his, collective, was good. his collective bargaining agreement does not specify that he has to acknowledge the attentions of children. So That, is, know, that is almost certainly – completely true <laughs> and explicit right like he doesn't have to deal with the audience and moreover he does he should not right? like as in like as in like this is not my job don't ask me to do it yeah exactly uh, well it's uh, right yeah he's 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 you know doing people's people's safety yeah it's, i mean have you seen a modern like lighting console or you know i don't know automation rig or like uh it's sometimes they're just computers but they're like they control so much now and the the lights oh, are yeah. so much more complex than when when and we were doing it. Yeah. Um, you know, this, be, this is yeah. the most old school I've seen a lighting setup in a long time. This lighting setup felt like something similar to what I had in high school. Um, not the chandelier and whatnot, but the actual lights that were used on stage. It felt it felt old fashioned. Uh, it might have just been the the sort of equipment that they had on their grid, given the many years they spent as a magic show. Mm. I'm not sure, but or maybe, but maybe a lot of it was fancy. You know, maybe a lot of it was. But the stuff they could do on there now, yeah, it's just. I, I but the last days of my technical theater stuff were when we were starting to get uh, IntelliBeams, you know those those like programmable digital lights that could. That was the name of the that was the brand name of the digital light that. that uh, I believe I believe we had a digital light called an IntelliBeam. Amazing. Uh, although that might also be some sort of psychological concept. 
Um, I think the IntelliBeam was in an episode of Star Trek where they, oh, you know, they you focus the IntelliBeam on Wesley Crusher's head, and it's oh no, sorry, that's not. Apparently, it's a kind of car headlight now. I don't know. Oh, it's it's a General Motors car headlight. So maybe I'm not remembering it correctly. Um, but at least that's what it seemed like it was being described as at the time. This was a long time ago. Sure. But yeah, the very end of my like lighting design career involved being able to program cues with digital lights that would auto uh, digital spots that would like auto zoom to areas that you had previously oh, selected. Moving, yeah, moving lights and then up. suddenly like how many how many axes do they move on? Yeah, you know, yeah. and then how do they make do they make color with a prism or do they, all the ones these days are, you know, LED light sources and then I think they focus with mirrors the uh the thing anyway. I, I don't even know how it how it all how it all works. Uh, how it all the, the point anyway. the point being that like the lighting experience made the space feel special made it feel like a theater and yes they did do that thing where they brought the lights up when they were going to very explicitly talk to the audience and get participation for stuff but a lot of the other stuff happened in in the suspended space right in the in the space where you're allowed to run you're allowed to dance you're allowed to eat your own popcorn you know we are not at home right now this is not a home day as we might call it this is a this is a show day uh, and it's special. Um, and that, that felt great. That was really awesome. Um, so yeah. So, uh, you are a dinosaur. You are a ferocious dinosaur. <laughs> Why do you think kids love dinosaurs? I mean, we already talked about Dino Dana a lot, so we don't have to go into this whole dinosaur thing. But man, why do you think kids love dinosaurs so much? I think you already said. I mean, you already said it. This is something that we were that we were prepping as we were, you know, texting about this beforehand. And it was. I, I, I'm glad it's come up. Uh, you know, here near the here near the end of the the podcast. And I I think that it's like they they don't actually imagine the full biological reality <laughs> of what yeah. the the dinosaurs were. So it's like the dinosaurs were so big. It's like, wow, yeah, maybe like as big as a minivan, you know, or maybe even a fire truck. No, they were like three times as tall as the uh, as the fire truck. At least some of them were. Yeah, but he doesn't think about that. I, you know, I think that the dinosaur is more an avatar for you than you imagining like fleeing from it Jurassic Park style, right? Yeah, he assigns dinosaurs to us. I'm a Triceratops. So his sister Naturally. is a stegosaurus. Like you're always a triceratops or you, you, you know, uh, or you're sometimes uh, you, you get assigned different dinosaurs depending on the, the play. I am not game. always a triceratops depending on the game he is playing, but there is a particular game where he lists the people in the family and ascribes to them specific dinosaurs. And in that game, I am a triceratops. So Got it's it. like, I'm a, and it goes like, you know, mommy is a brachiosaurus his sister is a stegosaurus. Daddy is a triceratops. I'm a T-Rex. Stomp, stomp, stomp. Right? Like, uh, and and I mean, I feel like he's being very generous by uh, endowing his sister with being a stegosaurus. I feel like he's giving her something cool there. And I feel like yeah, there's so an active generosity. Top tier. Top tier. Yeah, that's like, a t- that's like a first round pick dinosaur. Is Stegosaurus? Oh yeah, no, it's no, it's no like Diplodocus or something. You know, some. Like... <laughs> now, okay, so you say Diplodocus too, right? Yeah, um, I do. Is it? Yeah, because I've been teaching him Diplodocus, and I've been saying Diplodocus. But then we come across people saying Diplodocus, and he gets actively upset, and I get actively upset because uh, I'm sure they're right, or somebody's right. I don't know who's right. Of course, I don't. We can't ask the Dipl- Diplodocus because they're not around anymore. Uh, what they call themselves, do you whether say, it was Diplodocus d- or Diplodocus? Yeah, exactly. Like how do how do they <laughs> identify? That's what, But I mean, do you say Stegosaurus? You know? <laughs> do you say you know right? Like do you say Brachiosaur? 
You know, yeah. it's, uh, you say Triceratops, but you that's do. different. <laughs> um, you do. That's true. Triceratops. Well, yeah, but it's because Sarah. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, there I mean, there are reasons yeah. for that. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, but the uh, yeah no, I'm uh, Diplodocus. Diplodocus all day. Okay, Diplodocus all day. Diplodocus all day. Mark, what about you? Is there a what dinosaur are you, Mark? Um, oh, Ankylosaurus, definitely. An Ooh, dark horse candidate. From That's Nala's a solid idea. one. That is a, yeah. that is a like a late first round strong pick. That's usually like left on the table longer than it should. Is Ankylosaurus? So that's maybe the most underrated. So I'm, I'm money balling it here, right? You know, I've got like my uh, my uh, undervalued, overperforming dinosaurs uh, all yeah. locked up in my data. <laughs> no, can, can um, I, I, oh, yeah, yeah. Just uh, I have taken um, my sons many times to the Natural History Museum to see you know the big dinosaur skeletons and things like oh, that. And that, it really didn't, didn't fully occur that. to me until we just kind of you know had this conversation here that like he's not actually that impressed by the size. Like yes, as we talked about, you know, we as adults we were impressed by the size and you know imagine ourselves as. Um, uh, Ian Malcolm or Alan, uh, Dr. Grant, uh, you know, running away from something that is the size of a, of a building. Um, my son has, has, you know, like can't really comprehend things of well, that size. I guess if you're a kid, if you're a kid, everything is bigger than you. Like your seat, you know, your seat in the theater, you know, right? Like uh, is is so much bigger than you. So like, I think there's probably kind of a foreshortening that happens of, uh, you know, the the of the big, a foreshortening of the large, right? Where like, if something is like three times as big as you or something is like 30 times as big as mm-hmm. you, you know, it maybe it doesn't, uh, the difference between those two things, which would be really consequential for us is less consequential for them because, you know, they both fall in a, the category of, of really, the really, really big. You know that the, the um, I'm I, I'm a pterod- pterodactyl. No, no one asked me, but that's uh, you know. <laughs> so. I was going to say the the flying reptiles need to get their act together because I feel like they don't present a clear uh, a clear sort of high level taxonomy that because all all of the dinosaurs have these apparent taxonomy and then the actual taxonomy. Right, where it's like there's it's like okay, there's a Brachiosaurus and a Triceratops and a Tyrannosaurus Rex, and like these are the kinds of dinosaurs. And then you drill down, and you'll get to you know an Ultrasaurus, and that'll upset my son because an Ultrasaurus, you know, when I when I try to say, well, the Brachiosaurus is really tall and has long front legs and has a bump on his head, he'd be like, well, that's a Brachiosaurus. And I was like, that's an Ultrasaurus. It looks a lot like a Brachiosaurus, but it's a different size, right? Like, um, because of course, you know, these are natural creatures. And and they had a lot of permutations that were fairly similar to each other. They weren't also part of what makes dinosaurs so much fun is how drastically different from each other they can be, while also fulfilling and fitting certain themes. There's it's like it's like car models or Pokemon. Like the classification system is is happy for the brain to play with. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's um, it, it, he de- he doesn't deal well with dinosaurs that are really close to other dinosaurs. And I think the flying dinosaurs, I just get confused. Pterodactyl, Pteranodon, Pterosaur, you know, and then some of the other ones come up in the books. I don't have a really clear idea or at this point of who the first round draft pick is anymore. I would have said Pterodactyl, mm. but I feel like Pterodactyl gets underrepresented in a lot of the dinosaur books. And I'm not sure why. Yeah, I know it's because they're, yeah. they're all they're all taking like, you know, Brontosaurus was a thing when we were when we were yes. kids, you know, like they're taking all the good dinosaurs away. You know what I mean? It's the. <laughs> It's the it's the woke mind virus, really. That's like uh, you know taking all the uh, the dinosaurs away. Now, theater, theater, my boy, 
comes to an end. And so as we, as we end our podcast, uh, was there, was there sort of a climax to the show, Pete? And did it, uh, did, did the end of it go well? Or was it like a difficult separation because like there was now a transition from the showtime to, to, uh, you know, going back home, leaving, leaving behind the bag of popcorn and, and reentering your, your, uh, quotidian life? The end of the show was really interesting. Huh. So it was getting towards the end of the show. And, uh, well, okay. So she finishes the dinosaur song. And I think that that's the end. That's the end that she leaves, right? And then everybody's clapping. And I'm, I pick my son up and I'm kind of holding him up in one arm uh, as I'm sitting in my chair. And I'm like, and I say to him, hey, this is the part where everybody claps really hard if they really liked it. And if you clap enough and cheer enough, she'll come back and do what's called an encore. And so she, he's clapping and cheering and, and he was clapping so vigorously for, for this whole show, even before being prompted, he just was like, clap, 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 clap. He was very into clapping. Uh, and she comes out and she does her encore and she explains that she wants to make sure she plays all the songs that everybody likes. She doesn't want any of the kids to be mad that the song they liked didn't get played, but she doesn't have time. So she's going to play a medley. Uh, and so she goes into she's playing shorter versions of a bunch of her songs because she's been making music for 27, 30 years uh, and she has a lot of songs. And at this point, my my son out of nowhere wants to go to the potty. <laughs> now, <laughs> my son is not potty trained and has been very reluctant to get potty trained. I mean, my son is very happy accepting M&Ms for potty trained adjacent behavior reinforcement, but he won't carry that relationship any further. Not really interested in going to the potty. We're still working on it, right? We're still working on it, but he's not really a potty guy yet. And he asked to go to the potty. And that was very strange. So I took him to the bathroom, you know, and I, and I did we did the business in there. He didn't go. But like we went through the ritual, you know, and, and like washed his hands and stuff and then came back and uh which was fascinating that he wanted to go then. And then he started saying, okay, I want to go home. And, and I said, okay, uh, well, let's, we're almost at the end of the show. Let's wait until these last songs are over. And then we're going to go home. He's like, okay, I want to go home. Okay. Well, we'll just wait through that in the show. And she plays a little bit more. And then she has a final song. Goodbye. 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 Which is really smart of her to do. She has a sort of separation song that she sings where she's mm. saying goodbye to everybody and waving. And then everyone's supposed to wave goodbye. And, and my son waves goodbye to her too. And then, and then she leaves. And then something interesting happened, which is the lights came up and they opened an exit on the side of the theater that went straight out onto the street, which had not been opened to come in through. You all came in through the front door, through the lobby with the concessions and all the murals and the Sarah McLaughlin autograph pictures and everything. And then you come into this big grand old theater and then the show is over and all of a sudden this door on the side opens and you can leave through that door. And, and he gets very excited about that door. I want to go home. I want to go. Got to go. You know, got to go. Got to go. Right. And he's like pointing to that door and he really wants to leave through this door that's opened in the side of the theater. And he can't because we have come there. There's other families like we're there. We're there in a sort of group thing. And we want to meet the other families that also went. We're all going to go to dinner together afterwards. And so we have to gather everybody together uh, and we can't leave through that door. And, and we're hoping that people are going to come to us so that we can go out through that door. But they don't. And so we have to go out through the lobby. And he was like very confused about not being able to go out through the door. So, I mean, we went out through the lobby and, and then that was fine. You know, he just was like, you know, I want to leave. I want to go home. I want to eat a snack. I, you know, whatever. I'm I'm a child. I'm going to make demands. Um, 
kind of what I do. And, uh, and yeah, and then that's that, that, at that point, you know, us, the part of us that is in the show is over. It ends when we are kind of out on the street after a little while. And the sense of this being kind of a special rarefied space kind of fades. Uh, and he actually, what he does is he seeks out an alcove in a, uh, in a, in a vacant storefront. Um, so think about like a vacant storefront with glass windows on both sides and a, and a door that's set back from the street, an additional like two or three feet with angled glass heading towards a glass door. And he just finds a little alcove and he just stands in it. Um, and he just kind of like, I think he's just processing a little bit. He wanted to stand on the sidewalk, you know, a little bit away from the, the crowd and just kind of stand there for a little bit and kind of let the world come back. Um, but the idea that the, the show, he felt the need to do this thing that he never does. And then the show had a goodbye song and had a very clear goodbye gesture. And he really wanted to follow that gesture. I think spoke to the two way communication that was happening between the children and the show. Um, I thought it was really interesting. Um, um, uh, and, and I mean, I would have liked to have taken him out that door, but I don't think it was that important (laughs) that that it was going to foul up all of our other plans, uh, just for the sake of drama, you know? Uh, Well, you can't, my boy, you cannot go out that door. That is the gate of horn of false dreams. (laughs) We go out into the alcove of reality. My boy, the theater. Brings the reality back to us. All right, that's a good time uh, for anything for this this show to go. So let's uh, let's sing the goodbye song. It goes like this: Thank you for listening. <laughs> Thank you, Mark and Pete, for podcasting. And we'll be back next week. We always we always remind you, you know, in case the separation is difficult for you. We always remind you uh, that we're available to you because we'll be back next week with more overthinking and podcasting. And until then. You can self-soothe by visiting us on the web at overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It it probably probably doesn't doesn't deserve. deserve. This is the part where the discursive maintenance workers come in, sweep up all that popcorn off the floor, the popcorn of discarded thoughts, half-baked ideas. <laughs> it's also the part where the people bought VIP tickets wait in the theater, and she'll eventually come out and do like the Q&A with them, but like the rest of the hoi polloi need to leave before that happens. Children's shows shouldn't have VIP tickets. That's terrible. All children's are equally VI. They're all VI, they're all PHC, VICs, very mm-hmm. important children.